Did you know that TR Historical is the only online retailer of my merch? That's right. You can go over there, and I have stickers and buttons. Sooner or later, we might put some more stuff up on there. But Dave Boussier over there, owner-operator of TR Historical, has been a great friend of mine since I met him at an air show. We hit it off immediately, and we decided that we had to work together. On top of that, they have so much other stuff there as far as history swag on trhistorical.com. You're going to love it. I've ordered several shirts off of there, and there's some great stuff. I mean, if you want history swag, you got to check it out. So go over on trhistorical.com. Give them some love. Let Dave know I sent you. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Tattooed Historian Show. My name is John. I am The Tattooed Historian. And it's great to be back for Season 3 of The Tattooed Historian Show. I just come up with these seasons as I go, it seems like. First season had, I believe, a little bit more than the second season. But since I've taken a hiatus for a number of months, I figured, what the hell? Let's just make this Season 3. So here we are, uh, September 2020. And season three of this podcast. It's been a wild ride so far in so many ways. And I know lately for a lot of you, life has been a wild ride. But I want to kind of go over uh, what I've seen happening in the field since COVID started. And I would love to go over what I see happening in the next six months or so as far as the history field is concerned. God knows I don't know what's going to go on with COVID because I'm not a doctor, uh, I'm not a virologist, uh, I'm just a historian. I see a lot of parallels with the 1918 pandemic that I won't go into uh, because we are inundated with that kind of thing. Uh, We don't need another voice who doesn't have uh, a medical degree to be voicing his opinion right now, so I'll leave that be. But I do want to talk about the things that I've seen transpire in the history field since COVID has taken over our lives uh, in in various ways. And back in March, I was in Ontario, and uh, I was speaking at an event, a conference, about digital humanities, digital history, uh, branding yourself as a historian on social media, different platforms to use, and so on and so forth. Uh, Little did I know that uh, that would be the last time I would step foot in Canada for a long time, uh, to this day, still not there, but um, I didn't know that the lessons that I tried to get across that day would drastically take over the field in various ways through various channels. Uh, I talked about doing a podcast. I talked about doing live streams. I talked about branding yourself as a historian, uh, trying to understand how to raise money through sponsorships with uh, whatever it is that you're putting online. And as I said, little did I know that the those who were there taking notes were going to have to put that into effect relatively quickly because museums closed, uh, 
events were canceled, things like that. The only way for many of these people to do some outreach and to get out to their audience would be the things that we went over there and we discussed together uh, at that conference. It was amazing, though, to think that right after that, this was early March, uh, right after that was when I got sick. And uh, I don't know what it was. I do know that I was sick for five and a half weeks, uh, had a cough that I just couldn't kill. Uh, I drank a lot of Robitussin over that uh, time period. I think I went through almost two bottles, if not a little bit more than two bottles of over-the-counter Robitussin. Uh, and my inhaler and I were best friends. Uh, I'm asthmatic, so I needed to keep those lungs open. And uh, for five and a half weeks, I was down, seriously down. And I couldn't produce content because I couldn't breathe properly. I was coughing a lot. And so I took to watching content develop, uh, develop through others. I saw a lot of nonprofits jump on board and start to do live streams and start to do tours digitally and things of that nature. And it was amazing to watch uh, different types of nonprofits creating different types of content for their for the people who are watching. And I was excited because those who were kind of taking a back seat to it all uh, were now, it was now necessary for them to get in the driver's seat. And it was necessary for them to start to understand that, hey, we need to get on board with this or we're going to be left behind. And boy, did some get on board. And I was, I was um, overwhelmed at some times where there'd be four, five, six live streams in one day. Uh, and it's like, which one do you watch? It was almost like, you know, looking at what was going to be on TV that night and being like, what game do I want to watch? Uh, and then on top of that, I was doing some live streams after I, uh, got better, probably, uh, you know, six weeks after I was at that conference. Uh, I got on board with, uh, Dr. Peter Carmichael at the Civil War Institute, and we did two interview, uh, live streams a week. And so we were adding to this pot of live stream content and video content and stuff like that. And uh, it was just getting to the point where I realized that I had been running this race, so to speak, for about a year, year and a half, going on two years. And some people weren't there yet. And then all of a sudden, when the, when the you know, green flag dropped at the race... Everyone put the pedal to the metal and came out guns blazing, going around that first turn, going around that second turn, and it was everybody just like, you know, like three wide racing, you know, if you think of IndyCar or NASCAR. And it was like that for a while, and I knew it wouldn't be sustainable because there's no way that when you're producing, some of these places were producing four live streams a week. Um, there was no way that was going to work. That was too much. And it was live streams where they were bringing on people to interview or they were showcasing something, uh, you know, something on a historical ground or whatever it may be. When you're doing that and you're bringing on four people or five people and you're doing it four or five days a week, you're going to run out of content pretty quick because you need to be more mobile. Uh, and when we are sedentary, 
it kind of gets to the point where you get burned out. And I've noticed that now. I'm I'm still creeping around, you know, turn two and pushing forward. And everybody else is running ga- uh, running out of gas around turn three. And they're starting to slow down. And so, uh, you know, it's like the tortoise and the hare kind of thing. And I've been noticing this. And I've noticed also that a few of my colleagues are doing the same thing I'm doing. They are acquiring a larger level of patience. And uh, that patience mixed with that determination has been winning the day for a, a few in the history field. And I've been very happy to see that going down. Uh, humility and patience, but yet with that determination that I'm going to do something good. And I'm going to pre- create uh, good content that brings something to my audience. I've been really happy with a few who have done that. Um, I've kind of sat back and wondered, you know, how everyone else is doing because, uh, you know, it was this sudden influx of, of live streaming and getting connections with the audience for free. And then it goes away. Um, I'm hoping that it wasn't a bubble, but I'm starting to think maybe it was, uh, for a lot of them. And, uh, that's kind of a scary thing to think about because now they're rarely on, um, and when they are, it's it's uh, it just doesn't feel the same, you know. I think uh, I think for some of them they got burned out and they got tired of being on Zoom, which a lot of us have, uh, and they got tired of trying to create content about the same thing over and over again. And I totally understand that. It's just that uh, patience didn't prevail for some, and I think that we're starting to see who came out of it ahead and who didn't. Um, and we'll see how it goes into 2021 because uh, next year, uh, God willing, after COVID is over, are the live streams going to decline even more? I would say they probably are simply because they all they already are declining uh, as far as people putting it on there. Uh, but they still need to be doing it. It's, it's very important. It should have been a lesson learned through doing it that you're reaching a large audience. I was watching some live streams going on and there were 400 people watching at one time. And for a historical live stream, that's huge. Uh, I believe when Pete Carmichael and I interviewed Harold Holzer, uh, I believe we had like 120 or 130 people on there at a time, which for me was, you might as well said I had 10,000 people on there. Uh, that's astronomical. So the desire was out there. I think that we're seeing a change though. As we're going forward, people are going back to work. Uh, museums are, are doing soft openings, so to speak. You know, they're open, but yet they're socially distanced or you have to have a timed entry. So people have to be back at work. Um, I, I think that's where we're seeing some of the decline, but I, I think a majority of it is the fact that people are just burned out. They've done enough in their mind. And um, I'm slowly creeping along and, you know, getting back into it. Now, the reason I slowed down over the summer was I needed uh, a little bit of a break. Uh, I was creating content there pretty hardcore for a while. If you followed me online, uh, there was a couple weeks or there were a couple weeks where I had four to five live streams. So I was in that mix too for a little while where uh, I would do the two with Pete. Maybe I'd have one of my own. So I was doing three and that was enough. Uh, But then people were asking to come on and talk about stuff. And uh, I was like, hey, if you want to come on, that's great. Um, You know, I admire your work or whatever. And then it turned into four or five a week for a while. 
And that really, really started to get, uh, you know, on me as far as that's a lot of logistics and it's a lot of uh, technical things and I don't have a staff. It's just me. So uh, I took July off also thinking that I was going to be moving uh, to uh, Canada for my university uh, uh, deal that's going to be going down at Western in uh, London, Ontario. But that since has uh, been deferred till January because of the the border issue and study permit issues and stuff like that. So I'm stuck here uh, for a little while longer. So I figured, well, let's let's build this back up again and start here in September with a new wave of uh, of content. We're talking about the COVID wave, you know, the first wave, the second wave, etc. Let's talk about a, a digital history wave here. Um, what I'm really excited about too is that. Uh, in November, I'm going to be talking with students in Dr. Michelle Hamilton's class at Western uh, about the digital history, about uh, branding yourself as historians, uh, doing social media outreach as historians, and things like that. I love doing that, and I love speaking with students. I love hearing their uh, ideas of what they're trying to do or giving them ideas of something to do with it. I, I think that's really important when we get together and brainstorm. And I would like to broaden that scope. Um, I would love to talk to other students at other universities or high schools or history clubs or whatever it may be to allow them to see the potential for uh, this kind of thing, whether you're a historian who's doing podcasts, whether you're a historian who's doing live streams, uh, you're interviewing people via live stream or whatever it may be. Uh, I know for sure that this work that I've done the last two years under this brand helped me get into my doctoral candidacy at Western Ontario. I know it. It filled a lot of my, uh, my CV, my resume, and uh, it was something where I could showcase everyone I've partnered with whether it be the National Park Service, whether it be Gaysburg College, Shepherd University, and on and on and on. Uh, that's what I think really helped me greatly as someone who's not broadly published to showcase that my publications are digital. This is what I do, and this is how I do it, and this is how I do an educational program, and this is how I do tours, etc. So if you're a young historian or even a historian who's thinking about going back to university, um, this is part of your resume. Put it on there. Um, or if uh, you go help someone doing it, uh, if you help someone with a live stream, if you help someone with videography, put it on your resume. It's, it's experience. And it's experience which is going to come in handy for the next decade, you know, the next two decades. I wouldn't count that out. I know some uh, professors and teachers would, you know, scoff at that. But I'm telling you, it's it's so very important to say that you have field experience doing this. And I think some scoff at it because it's so simple. It's simple to pull out your cell phone, live stream from a position and show or a location and show what happened there. But it's still digital content. It's still digital history. Uh, we can't be blamed for you know, Verizon or, or whoever else making it easier for us to do this. That's not 
on us. It's on the people who are complacent, who don't want to do it. That's their fault. That's how we have to acknowledge this. Uh, It's like I said at the conference in March, the cell phone is the remote control of life. Uh, we, We take it everywhere. We're usually never four feet away from our cell phone. So why not come at everyone who wants to learn history through a cell phone? It makes total sense. We have a ready-made audience. And that's the way, uh, if you're trying to brain yourself as a historian or thinking of yourself as trying to brain yourself as a historian, that's the way you need to look at it. Now, you're carrying around a device which could open so many doors for you. And, uh, you know, I mean, eBay's right there. It's making people thousands of money or thousands of dollars uh in money and uh you know it's the same with history you can create digital content at the drop of a a hat and make a brand out of it uh it's amazing right now this has never been a better time to there has never been a better time to start creating content and doing what you do as historians or history nerds or whatever you want to call yourself Uh, this is the time to do it get on there and get used to seeing yourself on camera Get used to hearing your voice. Believe me, it took me a while to get used to hearing my voice. I never liked my voice. Uh, And then I just had to get used to it. I had to say, well, I have to edit my first podcast. And I would uh, hear myself talk, you know, and I would edit. And I would wince because I didn't like the sound of my own voice. Uh, I've gotten used to it because I've done so many podcasts or I've done so many live streams. And I'm hearing the feed come back through. Um, I even got some nice compliments from people who say I should read audiobooks. Uh, but you know, it's something you just have to get used to. I was very uncomfortable with my voice. I was, uh, I wasn't as uncomfortable in front of a camera, but, uh, I just love the fact that I could overcome that and then help others overcome that and bring people on who may not be used to being on a live stream. So, uh, It's been a wild ride through COVID, not only because of the health scares and the health issues, but watching people create and watching people document the past and document the present. I know several friends of mine who are historians who are keeping journals of this time in in the COVID crisis, and that's going to impact how historians see us 100 years from now. Just like we study the 1918 pandemic uh, and, the, and the time it took to overcome that, people are going to be studying this pandemic in 100 years, and they're going to want to know what historians thought about it and uh, what average Americans or Canadians or whoever uh, it may be thought of this event. And so I'm very happy that I have friends and colleagues out there who are doing that. I wish I would have thought about it earlier. Uh, because I hate starting something like that in the middle of something. I always got to be at the beginning uh, to start the story. But um, that's going to impact so many other people too. People are doing vlogs of their time in COVID, um, uh, their time during COVID, excuse me. It's just been an amazing time for digital history, digital creation, and I'm very happy to see people coming out of their shell and creating some great content. I know I would do a live stream and then I would finish mine and I'd immediately go over to someone else's to watch 
and, you know, give them a thumbs up or do whatever um, to support them. And uh, that was really uh, something that I enjoyed doing. And uh, it was a it was a great time to be thinking about that. Going forward, as I said, I want to pick things back up again with the podcast, obviously, uh, because some of you have reached out to me and said, when are you going to do more podcasts? So here we are. Um, I'm also going to get back into live streaming again as far as interviews are concerned. Uh, there are several that I have lined up. I have, uh, I have just started Historians Off the Clock. I'm going to try and make that a series. Uh, it's, it's going to be something where maybe you watched uh, the first one we did. It's going to be more of a laid-back kind of a, a talk, almost like historians, you know, if we were sitting at a table at a bar or in a coffee shop, and we are just riffing about whatever comes to mind, uh, the things that have impacted us in our studies, uh, challenges we've had, um, things like that. I don't, I don't want it to be us sitting on there and just showcasing to everyone what we know. I want us to showcase what we've experienced. And uh, I think that's really key to break down this wall that some in especially academia have put up over the generations where it was the untouchables. Um, it, it was one of those things where for a while I could reach out to some of the bigger known authors and historians out there and get some feedback. It was those who uh, were trying to be them who were having the most ego. Uh, so that, that was some kind of a crazy little thing that I'm sure I'll talk about in one of those historians off the clock. But I always wanted this to be accessible and friction-free, and I think showcasing historians as people, as citizens, as uh, those with hopes and dreams and and struggles and challenges and yet overcoming those or still working on those, that's where we're going to allow historians to be seen as uh, the average person. And I'm not saying we put historians on a pedestal, but it just seems like once in a while they're seen as uh, untouchable or out of touch, um, things like that. And I think that's totally false, but I think it's a narrative that has been, or it's, it's a pattern that has been seen over the decades. And I think that we need to uh, start breaking that down. And I think I'm the guy to do that because I'm always trying to have people relax. And it seems like a lot of times when people talk to me, they can be relaxed. And I, I love that. I want people to be relaxed around me. I'm not going to judge uh, someone. And as you know, I, I run uh, a friction-free, accepting place as far as my brand is concerned. Um, I, don't, I don't shut people out because of uh, the color of their skin, uh, their, their religious beliefs, uh, their gender identification, who they love. I don't do that because I grew up in an environment where that was a thing, and I hated that thing. And uh, I want to promote tolerance and acceptance. And that's why this brand is so um, fundamentally important to me. Because I think uh, for far too often people who look like me 
white males were, um, you know, the, they were the, quote, leaders of the field. And I think that drastically has to change because the field is more diverse than that. Um, you know, we need to we need to come to grips with that reality. And uh, many times we need to step outside of our comfort zone. And that's speaking from someone who uh, had issues with alcohol. You know, to overcome that, you have to look at yourself. You have to look at the thing that wounds you, the thing that is hurting you, the thing that uh, you can't overcome by yourself. And you have to search out for strength somewhere else and, and try to overcome it. I think far too often we don't, we don't want to touch the things in history which may make our ancestors look uh, uh, worse or, or bad or, um, you know, it, it's kind of like we want to see our ancestors as like uh, they, they can do no wrong. They did no wrong. Um, and, and we can't do that. You know, it, it's, they're human, just like us. And I can l- give you a list of everything I've done wrong. Um, and they probably could too. So I think we need to stop with this idolatry of some people in the past, many people in the past, and showcase them for what they are. They're human. They make bad mistakes. They make they make good choices. Uh, they do bad things, say bad things. They do good things, say good things. It's one of those deals where uh, we just need to come to grips with that. And as the descendant of someone who owned uh, enslaved peoples, uh, I want to do, you know, I want to be a better person than that. Uh, and I and I don't want to hear this, this malarkey of, well, they were a person of their time. Uh, people were against that back then. So, you know, uh, it, it's, I don't believe that stuff. I believe that, you know, he had his flaws, his faults, that doesn't define me. And I don't have to defend it to be a good person. That's that's what I think we need to get across. I can acknowledge that what he did was wrong, and I can acknowledge that I want to be better. And that's that. I don't have to defend that. Uh, perhaps it's because I'm also German, you know? Uh, we have a lot of skeletons in the closet, as far as that's concerned. When you're when you're German and you know you had uh, relatives in both world wars, you know, come on, don't have to sit here and defend what they were fighting for. Um, so it's it's a really interesting time to be trying to create a brand that is anti hate and. Uh, I know that there are those out there who uh, do history, who promote history, and uh, and all that stuff, who uh, I don't think they've taken the stand they should have taken. The optics look bad, uh, but that's on them. You know, I, I can't tell them what to do. So I will continue to do what I do, and, uh, you know, I, I can go to bed at night knowing I did my best. And, uh, and that's, then that's the key thing. I'm not going to sit in, in judgment. So going into the fall, uh, you know, it's going to be more, more educational opportunities, more live streaming, more podcasts, uh, a greater diversity in the podcast, greater diversity in the live streams. Uh, we are going to 
create something great in 2021. I have an idea that I've been working on now for about uh, two months. It's been rolling around in my head. And it's time to do it because I'm starting to see another shift in the history field that maybe some others aren't quite seeing yet or maybe they're not talking about it and, you know, we're all on the same page. Uh, but I'm starting to see a demographic shift in the history field and I want to jump on it. And uh, I'm really looking forward to doing that as well. Um, there's so much opportunity out there right now, though. I can't, I can't stress that enough. There's so much opportunity out there, and I'm not talking monetary. I'm not saying you're going to go out and you're going to make, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year being a, a historian. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a lot of opportunity out there to create quality content in a more simplified way than we could have ten years ago. There's no excuse now why you can't do it. If you can't figure something out, you Google it. You go on YouTube. There are videos. I had to teach myself how to do audio editing. Um, I had to teach myself how to do video editing. And the way I did that was Google and YouTube. And when someone comes to me with a technical question, I'm like, you're going to have to Google that because that's out of my league. And we as historians and history buffs, we all have different voices. I don't want you to think that... Uh, you know, someone's taking a bigger chunk of the pie than you. In fact, I don't want you to ever worry about what someone else is doing. I want you to do you. How do you present history? What do you do with it? Uh, what is the what is your audience getting out of it? You know, you're not creating it for yourself. You're creating it for your audience. Uh, what kind of quality content are they getting? What's the message they're receiving? Uh, that's the thing we need to think about here in the last part of 2020 and going into 2021 if you want to be a digital historian. You need to bring value to those who want to follow you, period. If you don't bring value, no one's going to stick around, and rightfully so, um, especially if it's going to be all about you. Uh, you know, this is, this is the reason why I bring a lot of other people on with me. I love others to be able to to showcase their talents. Um, you know, I've had a couple people come up to me and they're like, you're too humble. And I think, I'm just doing what I do. I don't know everything. I'll never know everything. I'll bring someone on who knows a bit more than I do, a lot more than I do, and they can showcase their talent. You know, and that's that's what's important to me. I, I don't think that uh, patting myself on the back is, has ever been... Uh, something that I was interested in. And, uh, you know, it's it's just, there's no ego here. Um, you know, I have my thoughts and opinions and ideas on things in the history field and in life, but there's no ego. It's just a desire to get better, a desire to be a student for life. And I think that's what historians need to remember. Historians need to remember that we are students for life. I heard, when I went back to get my graduate degree, I remember my family saying, what are you going to be, a professional student? And, uh, you know, you take that as kind of a, a knock. But what they didn't realize was, as a historian, you're always going to be a student. Um, really, as a, as a citizen, you should always be a student. You should always be trying to learn something new. As a human, you should be trying to learn something new. But especially as a historian, you are trying to find that next primary resource, 
you're trying to interpret that primary resource. You're trying to figure out the best way to teach that primary resource. It's a constant building of this beautiful, you know, palace of history, you know, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's when we stop trying to learn new things or we think we know it all or we think we've seen it all, we've read it all. That's when you get caught. That's the great quagmire of the history field. And it comes back and it bites you. And people don't don't want to hear that. You know, it's it, it's one thing to uh, to do it and to really feel like you've done it all, you know, and you've seen it all. But that doesn't last long. You know, someone else comes along and they have a new resource and you don't. And then you're behind again. And now you're a student. So... Many times when someone comes up and asks me, even before I was taken into the doctoral program at Western University, um, you know, what are, what do you do? I would say I'm a student. I'm a student of history. And, uh, you know, basically when it, the Tattooed Historian brand is uh, was the kind of like the only major time I ever considered myself a historian. The rest of the time I'm just a, you know, I'm a, I'm a student. Uh, I should say that's the only time I really branded myself as a historian, even though I have a graduate degree. It was still like I just considered myself a student for life. And I think that that helps with uh, offsetting any instances of ego. I think that uh, really reinforces humility. And once in a while, um, I know some of my peers need to take that medicine <laughs> From time to time, honestly, you you know who I'm talking about. You have people um, who you've worked with. You've had people that you've watched. You've had people that you were on a tour with where you really knew there was a little bit of ego here. And uh, they need to be more of a student than a historian. And I think that's the next phase. However, uh, with this demographic shift I see coming in the history field. I've seen it for several months now, and I'm starting to think of new ways to do some new outreach. I think this next demographic shift is going to really chip away at this wall that that many of the previous generations of historians put up. Um, I think we're going to see this crack. And it's going to be uh, painful for some, and for others, it's going to be a welcome relief because for years, the arts and humanities in the United States have been cut, and uh, but the arts and humanities, at least in the history field, I should say, uh, the history field has been cut drastically in education and preservation funds and so on and so on. However, the style and the method at which we teach history hasn't changed that much in a generation. Uh, not to, not until COVID, not until those major organizations started doing more live streams and such. It was rare for a drastic change in how we see the past. And I really think with this new demographic shift that I'm seeing coming down the road pretty quickly, uh, there's going to be a drastic change in how we interpret the past as far as 
the method in which we interpret the past and how that impacts our communities, our day-to-day lives, uh, and so on. It's, it's going to be something we're going to have to embrace because it is the wave of the future. And uh, I'm working on a couple ideas to try to make that a reality for myself uh, and to bring along others, obviously, because I always had to bring along my friends and colleagues uh, who have been there for me. And I really think we have an opportunity here to change uh, the field for the better. And I'm looking forward to that in 2021. So the rest of this year is going to be me pacing myself, keeping up that pace to uh, drive into 2021 still with a half a tank of gas while everyone else is, well, not everyone else, but while a lot of people have run out of gas, I don't have to go to pit road yet. Uh, I can stay out on the track a little bit longer. Uh, Not so much wear on my tires, let's say. And allow 2021 to uh, take a grip on the brand, so to speak, and see where we go from there. Um, I'm seeing a lot of great things coming out involving virtual reality. I'm seeing a lot of great things that are in the mix for augmented reality. Um, Gaming is huge, multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, I'm slowly getting that up and running uh, because I I was getting there and then I got sick. And then I got, uh, you know, the live streams going down. Uh, with Pete, and I got a little sidetracked, but I'm going to be doing this gaming thing as well, and there's so much more. Oh, man, there's so much more coming in 2021 that I have to be prepared for. So, and on top of that, I'm going to be moving on to get my doctoral degree. So all this is going to be happening at one time, but I'm so happy that it's going to be happening, and it's going to be a great release of this historical energy. And that's what I want for you. I want you to be able to create if you wish to create. Don't be afraid of the judgment of others. Everyone's like, oh, the lighting's not good. Doesn't matter, put it up. Oh, the sound's not too good. Doesn't matter, put it up. You could think the sound is great and someone's still gonna complain about the sound. You could think the lighting is is legit and someone's still gonna complain about the lighting. Put it up. Allow people to learn from the message. Uh, you know, sound is very important out of the out of the two. It's better to have good sound and lesser quality lighting than the opposite. But who cares about the judgment? Don't worry about the judgment. Worry about getting the content up. Worry about documenting your journey. Uh, because your journey is going to be history. Period. And, you know... Someone's going to write a biography about you someday, possibly, or you're going to be in someone else's biography. And what's it going to say about you? You know, that's what I want you to think about going forward. And throughout the next week until next week's podcast, I want you to think about legacy. And what's the legacy you're going to leave behind? Is it one where, you know, you put your your feet in the sand and you decided I've done enough? Or are you going to move forward? But the main thing I also want to get across to you is patience. It doesn't mean complacency. It just means patience. Do something you love. Do it the way you love doing it, whether it's a podcast, whether it's live streaming, whether it's going out and doing tours, whether it's giving talks, whatever it may be. 
if you're a historian. Do it the way you want to do it. And you'll be so happy. And you do it with patience, with humility, and with gratitude. Thankful for every opportunity you get to speak with someone who wants to follow along. Just like I thank you for listening to the podcasts. I thank you for watching the live streams. I thank you for being in the field with me when we can be in the field together and hanging out. Uh, you know, it means so much to me. And I know that if you're in the same boat, it means so much to you. And it's not about the numbers to me. And, you know, that's something that someone could say, but they don't mean it. I mean it. I, I don't know how many followers I have. I don't pay attention. Um, someone came up to me the other week and they said, you know, you have like 5,000 followers on Facebook. And I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know my numbers. Uh, I haven't looked at my numbers in probably six months. So I don't know what's going on. And that's the way that I think, uh, for me, is the path to success. is not worrying about the numbers. Worrying about, you know, quality content that brings something of value to you. And I truly mean that. You know, if it's 5,000 followers on there, I don't know. If it's 500, I don't know. Um, and it doesn't matter. What matters is those involved are enjoying the ride just like I am. And man, that means so much to me. And I know that the historical content coming up is going to interest you. Uh, I want you to remember that not only am I on Facebook, I'm on so many other platforms now. I can't keep track of them. Uh, the main ones, though, is uh, obviously Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram. You can check me out on there. Uh, I'm on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, check out at Inked Historian, I-N-K-E-D Historian. Uh, I'm on Twitch, so you can look up twitch.tv slash the Tattooed Historian. That's my channel. I'm on YouTube. Just go over to YouTube and look up The Tattooed Historian. You'll find my channel on there. Uh, I'm on Snapchat. I'm on TikTok. Not enough, but I'm on TikTok. Uh, don't worry, I'm not dancing or anything like that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm just reaching out across new platforms, looking for the next one, and trying to create good historical content across a lot of them, including this, including podcasting. I'm really happy to be back and starting season three, and I'm really happy that you gave me a little over 40 minutes of your time uh, today to listen to the podcast, and we're going to have interviews, we're going to have clips from live streams, uh, we're going to have some of my takes on the history field as we go forward, we're going to have a lot more to come, and I'm really, really excited to bring some great uh, content to you. I hope you enjoy it. Please uh, subscribe uh, you know, if you're on, uh, Spotify, go ahead and hit that button. If you're on iTunes, please give me a rating. If I get some five-star ratings, four-star ratings, whatever it may be, it helps me out that way. So people can see the podcast, please pass it on to your friends. Remember, this is the first episode of season three. I have two other seasons before this. So go back. If this is your first time, welcome, but go back and listen to my other seasons. You're really going to Enjoy those as well. You're going to hear from a plethora, there you go, there's a good word, plethora, of historians and uh, history buffs. And it's going to be something that I hope that you enjoy. And, uh, and I hope it's something different for you. 
So please check out all of my uh, all my sites, um, and and thank you again for listening to season three, episode one. Uh, let me know what you thought about it. Would love to hear your comments, your ideas. Uh, it, it really does mean a great deal to me that we have open communication and can talk in a civil manner uh, with no hate. And uh, and because uh, remember, this is an anti-hate brand. It will always be that way but it's not an anti-education brand. We're always going to be about education here, and uh, that is something that we need to remember. No ego, all education. So I hope that you have a wonderful day. Please take care of yourselves. Be safe out there. COVID is still a thing. Please mask up and wash your hands. It means a great deal to asthmatics like myself because we can't hardly breathe now. Our inhaler is our best friend. Uh, So I will talk to you very soon, my friends. Uh, I will talk to you next week, actually. I'm going to have one of my live stream interviews on the podcast next week, and I hope you enjoy it. Take care, everybody.